Faith plus nothing equals salvation. It's really simple math, one that our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, talked and wrote about a lot. But as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the Galatians, we can see how it's not an easy equation to live out all the time. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and we invite you to hop aboard the Bible bus for another great study in God's Word. Now, in just a minute, we're going to dive into Galatians chapter 5. So grab your copy of God's Word and find your seat. And while you do that, let's listen to an introduction by Dr. McGee. A showdown is on the way. However, it will not be a missile coming over the North Pole that will destroy America, but it will be an enemy within our gates. That hydra-headed monster is already destroying our nation. Some of the heads of the beasts can be identified and labeled at the present time. Now, there are many heads to this monster that's destroying us today. Some of them are greed, lust, pride, violence, cruelty, and savagery. These are the traits that man thought he had left in the jungle when he came to Main Street and Broadway. The beastly and depraved nature of man is cropping out in a godless and unrestrained society. Main Street is a concrete jungle. In a northern California town, which is typical of an average American town, an event took place recently which shocked and alarmed both the press and the police. A schoolgirl was murdered. The murderer, a student, admitted openly that he had killed the girl. Other students treated it as a casual event. No one called the police. The murderer covered her body with leaves and proudly displayed her to other students. No one among the students seemed to have a conscience that a murder was wrong. The students looked at the corpse as animals look upon one of their own that has died. Now the question is, should young people be taught morals in the school? If not, then we are dead as a nation. No one killed us. We committed suicide. Now it's time for us to come to our program And we are studying now one of the most wonderful books of the Bible. This is the book that brought in the Reformation and the great spiritual revival under John Wesley. And John Wesley said that night that he heard the epistle to the Galatians expounded. He said, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt that I did trust Christ, Christ alone as my Savior. And there was given to me there a peace that he had taken away my sins, even mine. If you'd like to know more about what it means to completely trust in Jesus Christ, why don't you visit ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? There you'll find several free resources as well as messages and digital booklets by Dr. McGee, including his popular The Faith Equation. We've set them aside just for you. Again, that address is ttb.org and click on How Can I Know God? Or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and we'll send a couple of these resources to you by mail. Now, before we jump into our study, I'd like to share a few letters from listeners on the Vietnamese Bible bus. 
First, we hear from a fisherman. This one's living on a remote island. Because of my work, I cannot attend church very often, only once every month or so. I love to listen to your Bible programs on the boat. The current lesson I'm listening to is the creation story in Genesis. I like it very much. Now at night, when I look up to the stars, I feel the presence of God and pray God's blessings upon you. And then this note comes from a young woman who lives with her parents. I have a problem with my leg that makes it very hard to walk, she says. Since we live a distance from any churches, I have not been for the last two years. I was the only Christian in my family, but since I started listening to you six months ago, my sister also listens since we share a bedroom. A kind person at our church visits me twice a month to check in. Right now, my sister and I are listening to Matthew. Last week, she prayed to accept Christ with me. We invited the pastor to come and pray for her. I am so very happy. Well, isn't that wonderful news? Our last letter comes to us from a pastor who's involved in sharing through the Bible in his region of Vietnam. For many years, my wife has had severe depression that is giving way to other mental illness, the pastor writes. Since we took on the responsibility of your messages at our church, she has been listening to a steady stream of Bible teaching many hours a day. After three months, all symptoms of depression have disappeared, and our family situation has turned 180 degrees in the right direction. Recently, as we listened to Romans, both my wife and I can testify of the positive impact of the teaching in our own lives. We have resurrendered our lives to God and committed to serving in our church with love. Well, God is certainly answering our prayers. Will you join us? Why don't you sign up for our world prayer team and then celebrate God's work in the lives of listeners like these as we ask him to transform every heart that believes on his name. The journey begins at ttb.org forward slash pray. And let's do that now for each other. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that's changing lives around the world. And may it may it be believed in every place it's heard today. And as we study together, Lord, Help us to hear the message that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's our study of Galatians 5 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we come to this section that I've already told you is the new major division in Galatians. We've had three major divisions after the introduction. There was that personal section so important in the life of the Apostle Paul for us to know the experience that he had had. And then we came to the doctrinal section of justification by faith, that our salvation must rest upon God's salvation, and that there's only one gospel. And he's going to make it clear in this fifth chapter that that gospel only permits one way. He is the way. And there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, we concluded the doctrinal section last time. We come today to the practical side, and that is sanctification by the Spirit. Justification is by faith. Sanctification is by the Spirit of God. Now, we are told, however, that the Lord Jesus Christ has been made unto a sanctification. That is, God sees us complete in him. Now, I don't care how good you become. You'll never meet his standard. You'll never be like Christ in this life. And Christ is the only one that God's ever said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm very frank to say that he's the only one God could say that of. 
But now we've been put in Christ. The body of believers, this church, is in Christ. He's the head of the body. And this is his body that's in the world. Should represent him, by the way. Now, the method today of sanctification is by the Spirit. And we have in this section, we'll see the Spirit versus the flesh. Either it's a do-it-yourself Christian life, or somebody else will have to do it through you. And his method is doing it through you. And we have here liberty versus bondage. Now, any legal system puts you under bondage. You have to follow it meticulously. The officer, the traffic officer, and I'm getting allergic to using that illustration because I get letters from people that they think I'm an awful lawbreaker. But I did. I came up to a corner. It was actually early a Sunday morning. Nobody was out. I looked up and down the street, and when I came up to the corner, I didn't stop. Now, the sign there said stop. I just crawled through, and I didn't see that officer. He came up to me. He says, did you see the sign? I said, yes, I saw the sign. I just didn't see you. Well, he says, you know what that sign means? Well, he gave me a lesson there. I would say a very primitive, but a very primary lesson. He says, stop means stop. You know, I already knew that. I just wasn't doing it. I just crawled through. I couldn't see anything wrong with that. You see, the law, I tell you, it puts you in bondage. And I think today that if you're going to drive, you better be under law because a lot of folk drive through those stop signs have caused wrecks, you know. And stop means stop. Well, I agreed with him on everything except the one thing is that I deserved the ticket. I argued with him about that. And you know he was a very nice fellow. He saw the point. He said, well, I grant you this morning that there's nobody out. But he says, hereafter, he says, you stop, will you? And I assured him I'd stop. And you want to know something? If it's early Sunday morning now and I come to that corner, I stop. And wherever that stop sign is. Now, that's legalism, if you please. Now, Paul begins on this note of liberty that we have in Christ. And in these first 15 verses here, In chapter 5, his subject is saved by faith and living by law perpetrates falling from grace. That's what it means to fall from grace is to be saved by faith and then drop down to a law level to live. And I will see that illustrated as we move into this section. Now I'm reading at verse 1, chapter 5 of Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, what he's saying here is that we're not only saved by faith, but the law is not the rule of life or of faith for the believer. This is not the way that we are to live by law at all. Because if law enters in, you see, are we to do something? Actually, that's what it means to say Christ is a curse. That's the reason that it's dangerous today, friends. I've had several letters that when we spoke on the matter of the gifts of the Spirit, they said, why, you're a heretic because you deny this. And may I say to you, I deny that you do anything to add to your salvation. When you come to Christ, you get the whole ball of wax. It's in Christ that we have everything, friends. And it's only through him that you and I have salvation and also sanctification, as we're going to see here. 
And we have a liberty in Christ. We're not put under some little legal system. Now, I know a great many fundamentalists today. They've got rid of the Ten Commandments. I mean, by that, they don't use them as a law of life because I think we all understand that the breaking most of those commandments today, you'd be arrested by the local authorities. Thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal. And certainly a Christian doesn't do that, but we've been called to a higher level to live. And that level is where there's liberty in Christ. I have a liberty in Jesus Christ. And that liberty is that the rule I'm to live by, which is not a rule, but a principle, and that is I'm to please him. My conduct should be to please Jesus Christ, not please you, not please any organization, but to please Jesus Christ. And that's the liberty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, circumcision was the badge of the law. And if you so much as put on the badge, and a badge indicates what organization that you belong to. Most lodges and organizations today, they have badges that you're to wear. I'm of the opinion that it'd be nice if Christians wore a badge. I've never been much on wearing badges. I go to conventions. I try to steer clear of the table where they put a badge on. I just don't like wearing badges. But I'm not sure But what Christians should have a badge. Because that's about the only way they can tell we're Christians most of the time is by the badge that we would wear. But Paul says, if you so much as put on the badge of the law, which is circumcision, he says, actually, Christ does not profit you anything. If you are looking to anything else other than Christ. Now, I hope you can see the reason for that. And there's a good, sound, logical reason. And let me illustrate with a very homely illustration. Years ago in my Southland, there was a tonic that was advertised that was named Hadicol, I think was the name of it. And I think it was put off the market. I do not know all the details, but I think they found about 75% of it was alcohol. And a lot of people were using it, by the way. And I knew a lot of Christian people that said, my, it certainly helps you, makes you feel good. And 75% alcohol would have that effect, I'm sure. And so they were taking had a call. Now, suppose that you wrote a testimonial. You had taken had a call, and you write a testimonial to the people. And they were great at giving out testimonials. And the testimonial would read something like this. You would say, I took 513 bottles of your medicine. And before I took the medicine, I could not walk. And now... I'm able to run, and I'm actually able to fly. I really have been improved. But also during that time, I made up a bottle of my own concoction, my own medicine, and I took that bottle also. I think you ought to know that. Now, my friend, you sure muddied the water. You can't tell now whether the 513 bottles of Hadicol was the thing that cured you or whether it was your own bottle of that concoction that you had made up. You see, the minute you put something else in, you're not quite sure. And so if it's Christ plus something, 
Then Paul goes so far as to say this. Now, will you hear me very carefully today? Paul says, if you go so far as to be circumcised or to add, that's just the badge of the law. If you go so far as to say that you have done something or that you went through some experience and that that is your salvation, he says, you're really not saved because Christ won't profit you anything. How can he profit you anything? because you made up a bottle of your own concoction and you did not trust him alone for your salvation. Dr. Schaefer used to put it like this, and it always impressed me. He said, I want to so trust Christ that if someday when I come into his presence, he would say to me, why are you here? And I'd say, I trusted you as my Savior. And he'd say, well, that's rather commendable, and I'm very happy you did that. But what have you done? Well, he said, I haven't done anything. Well, he says, no, I happen to know that you were president of a seminary. Don't you want to mention that? He said, no, I never trusted that for salvation. Well, you were baptized, I know, yes, but I never trusted that for salvation. Well, you were a member of a church, yes, but I never trusted that for salvation. But you did many nice, fine things that you were commended for. Yes, but I never trusted that. And the Lord Jesus would say, well, I'm sorry, I can't receive you. And... He says, I want to so trust Christ that I'd say to him, I'm sorry. And I'd turn and walk away and say, I only trusted you as my Savior. My friend, is that the way you and I are trusting him today? Is that the way that we're resting on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? Paul makes it very strong. Don't blame me for it. Paul says, behold, I, Paul, send you, not I, Vernon McGee, now, this is not Vernon McGee's interpretation. This is Paul. I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. That is, if you trust the badge even, if you trust the law, if you trust anything other than Christ, you're not a Christian. Now, that's Paul. I didn't say it, friends, so don't blame me for it. Just tell me what he means if this is not what he means here. And I'd like to know if he means something else, why he didn't say something else. This is what he says. He says, verse 3 now, For I testify again to every man that's circumcised that he's debtor to do the whole law. You see, you can't just draw out of the law what you like, and especially they like to leave out the penalties and a great deal of the detail. I'm delighted today that I'm not under law. I'm not under law at all. And the liberty that I have in Christ. Now, I must confess I have a problem of pleasing him always. I'm sure that my conduct always doesn't please him, but he's the one I'm trying to please. It's not following some legal system. Now he says, For I testify again to every man that's circumcised. He's debtor to do the whole law. Now listen to him. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Now what he's saying is this. But if you, having been saved by trusting Christ, if you now are coming down to a low level and living by law, then he says you've fallen from grace. And that's what falling from grace actually means. It, I think, is something that is greatly misunderstood today. I can remember when I was a student in a denominational seminary, why one theologian, he says that 
falling from grace as the doctrine which the Methodists believe and the Presbyterians practice. I'm sure that most of them practice it today. Actually, it doesn't mean falling into some open sin or careless conduct, and by so doing that you forfeit your salvation and you have to be saved all over again. It has no reference to that, of course, at all. Falling from grace is, I think, opposite of once saved, always saved. I think both expressions are unfortunate terminology. Well, falling from grace is, Paul answers it now in the rest of this chapter. He answers it in Romans. Paul in Romans begins with man in a place of total bankruptcy, no righteousness, completely depraved, unprofitable, rotten fruit, if you please. Man is a sinner before God. Now, at the conclusion of Romans, you see man in the service of God. He's asked to do certain things. He's admonished to perform certain things. And he's completely separated to God. He must be obedient to God. Man is a servant of God. Now, there are two mighty works of God stand between the man in his fallen condition and man in service to God. What are those? Salvation and sanctification. Now, salvation is justification by faith, as we've seen. And that is something that's all important. Now, sanctification means now that you're saved, it doesn't mean get busy. It means simply this, that you're now coming up to a new plane of living. You are now been saved. I think the greatest fallacy of the Christian life is today that service is essential, that you must get busy immediately. You know, the early church was more concerned with its life, the life of the church, and that life was a witness to the world. And today we've forgotten that. The outside world is looking at the church and passing it by and looking at many of us believers and passing us by. Why? Because... Very frankly, we are always busy out yonder handing out tracts, buttoning whole people, and we don't have a life to back it up. We need today a life to back that up and to know by experience these things. And rather than trying to do good, we ought to live good. And then if we are, then we're going to be doing good, if you please. I think there's more about sanctification in the epistle to the Romans and in the epistle to the Galatians than anything else. Now, how does God make a saved sinner good? Well, he's given a new nature. Now he can keep the law? Oh, no. Emphatically, no. He's called now to a higher plane. Now, this doesn't mean he breaks the law, but he's called to a higher plane. There's no good in the old nature. And Paul found that out. And he also found out there's no power in the new nature. He said, as to salvation, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. But he also found out in Romans, to will is present with me. And he cries out, as a saved man, O wretched man that I am, he's not afraid that he's going to lose his salvation. He's a defeated Christian. And God gives a new principle. And the new principle we're going to find here in this chapter is the fruit of the Spirit. Living the Christian life by this method for some Christians is as far-fetched as living on the moon. Never expect to live there. Never heard about it. Acknowledge the possibility it's a theory, and I'm just talking here about life out yonder on a distant planet. 
May I say to you, this is the life he wants us to live by faith today. Saved by grace, we're to live by grace. We'll take that up next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. What a great message. To listen to today's message again or share it with a friend, visit your app store and search for Through the Bible. And then be sure to check out our many great Bible study resources that you can use for free, including our new Bible companion for Galatians. Visit the resources section again at ttb.org. Now, if you'd like to be in touch by mail, we always love to hear from you. So you can write to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109, or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. You can always send that letter via email to BibleBus at ttb.org, and you can always call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that number is 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now, we got another great study in Galatians ahead of us. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to join us as we continue this rich and exciting journey through the Bible. Jesus came home, to him I Sin had left a crimson Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.